book of Acts this morning. The book of Acts, uh, we're, as we're, we're finishing up our, our three-year journey, it seems like, to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 27, and we have a, uh, a few different passages. We're going to skip around in there. This is a, a very long narrative uh, that Dr. Luke records as, as the chronology of events in Acts is, is winding down to an end, and Paul is on his way to Rome. So we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 27, and we're going to start in verse 21, read to verse uh, 26, then we're going to skip and go from 33 to 36, and then we're going to read verse 44, and, and you'll, you'll see the logical progression, I promise, at the end, and if you don't, let me know, and, and I'll, we'll, we'll try to help you out. Um, but I, as, as we read this, uh, I'm going to give you some background as you're turning to Acts 27, starting in verse 21. As you're turning there, I, I got a little background I want to share with you. So, so Paul is on his way to Rome after he gives his, his defense to um, King Agrippa, uh, and, and uh, Festus says he's going to send him to... My dad's trying to call me to wish me happy birthday. Um, I guess I guess my dad doesn't understand that we're, we're having church at the moment. I'll have to call him back later, but thanks, Dad. Love you. And um, so I thought I put my phone on Do Not Disturb, but I apologize for that. Uh, so anyway... Uh, Paul, Paul is, on, is, going, is bound to Rome because he's appealed to Caesar. And as a Roman citizen, he has that right to, to appeal to Caesar as a prisoner. And um, so he's on his way to Rome. And, and the interesting part about this, this travel is he's been assigned to this um, uh, Augustan cohort named Julius. He's a centurion leader. And he's, he's going to take him to, uh, to Rome from where he's at in Caesarea. And, and he, on this journey, they're going to have multiple stops and there is believed by the historical scholars that he's traveling on a grain ship because grain is the lifeblood of, of any economy. As we can see with the farming agriculture we have around here, the, the farming community, the agricultural things are very important to sustain life. So the grain ships were run by the state. So uh, Julius was able to, to get a passage on a grain ship that had about 270 people on board roughly and uh, take Paul to Rome. But what, what, what's happening, before we get to our little part of, of this passage, what we have is uh, a unique thing where Paul actually tells them the weather's not the greatest. It's after the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the, feet, the, fat, uh, the fasting period, and the, and the uh, middle fall there. And from November to February, there was really no sea travel. But the, because it was a grain ship and it needed to go toward Rome, and because uh, Paul needed to get there along with some other prisoners, they elected to not listen to Paul. They elected to take a journey anyway. So Paul gives them this stern warning, and now we get into the part where they've been out to sea for several periods of several days, a long period of time here, and they've been tossed about in, uh, in these stormy gales, if you will. And now we're going to read, starting in verse 21 in Acts chapter 27, and, and listen to a small portion of what's happening. So if you're ready to read with me, uh, verse 21, it says, when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. And now I urge you to keep your courage, to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you. But only the, of the ship, for this very night, an angel of, of the God of whom I serve and I belong stood before me saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore keep up your courage, men, for I believe 
God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. Let's pray together. Most gracious Father, we do thank you for these words of encouragement and wisdom. And as we go through this passage of scripture this morning, I pray that we are able to not only exhort the gospel message of Christ, that there is hope when, there's an event, when we're in the midst of despair, but that we will be able to take practical application back to our lives as we live not only in today, but each day of the week as we move forward, and each day of these years that we have left on this earth, that we take this information, we apply it daily, so that we too can spread the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's uh, so let's let's break down this passage and we'll we'll move on. But I, what I want us to understand here is that God always speaks through people who are serving Him. Okay, God speaks through people who are serving Him, and oftentimes we will find that one of the most unlikely people will be the ones that speak to us that are serving the Lord. Paul is a prisoner. He he's he's even though he didn't done anything wrong, he's still a prisoner of of the Roman cohort, and. He's able to have this very stern warning, as we talked about briefly in our, our uh, summary beforehand here. He talks to them and tells them about this warning, and he freely, boldly stands up, and he says to the people, if you would have listened to me, we wouldn't be in this issue. We wouldn't be in this predicament. So, so he had his boldness, but he says, yet now I urge you to keep up the courage. Keep up the courage. What does that mean, keep up the courage? If you look in the original language, in the original Greek, the word used for courage here means to cheer up, have cheer, be a, have a cheerful disposition. And why is he telling them this? Because they're in despair. I don't know if anybody here has ever been on a, out the sea, but if you've ever been in the middle of a storm on a boat, a sub, a ship, a cruise liner, or whatever the case may be, it's not a very pleasant experience. When you're rocking back and forth and you're walking from the floor or the deck up and you end up walking down the people don't um their stomachs are very unsettled most most of the time during these, this, this time of, of despair because it says they've got a long time without food because they couldn't hold anything down but paul is saying this very night an angel of the lord has spoke to him and has given him a vision a dream and the angel says do not be afraid because you must stand before caesar and behold god has granted you all those who are sailing with you so what he's saying is keep up courage, be cheerful. No one's going to die. Yes, you're going to lose your ship, but no one's going to die. That's pretty specific. When God speaks, he always speaks in specific terms. He always gives us exactly what we need to know at the time we need to know it. He doesn't always tell us how the ship, he didn't say how the ship was going to fall apart. He didn't say how the ship was going to wreck. He didn't say how their lives were going to be saved. It wasn't important. He was just telling them the facts. The fact is you're going to be okay. So sometimes in our lives, practically speaking, we want to know everything from here to 100 years from now, what's going to happen. And it don't work that way. That's not how God communicates to us. Because, of, and I've been told this before, and I believe it. If we were told, if God stood before us right now and told us what was going to happen in the next 10 years, we wouldn't believe him anyway. We wouldn't. It's not possible because we cannot fathom in our finite human minds what God has in store for us because he's infinite and we are finite. Our faith grows over, over years, our, our, our uh, spiritual strength grows over the years, so we are not prepared to do now what we're supposed to do 10 years from now, because God builds us up. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us through his scriptures. But the irony here 
is the same Paul, the same man that God used to tell them and give them a warning about setting sail at a later date. That was a that was a message of despair. We will perish because of this. Is basically what Paul says. And now, not not so many days long, uh, later, Paul is now preaching a message of hope in the midst of a storm. You know, I've entitled this message "The Eye of the Storm." There was a the the, the word they use for storm in, in this period in this passage in Acts is actually a, a word that indicates a nor'easter type storm. It's got cyclonic activity, so there was it was probably. Uh, not uncommon to see water spouts, uh, strong winds, gale force winds tossing the ship and, and seeing all these water anomalies out there. And in the middle of all this, it reminds me of whenever the disciples were scared when Jesus was walking to them on the water and there was a storm and he said, uh, excuse me, he was sleeping in the back of the boat and he says, peace be still. And everything went calm. That's the same calmness that we should have in the storms of life. Because we are going to suffer while we are on this earth. We're going to face various persecutions, various trials, various tribulations. James says in the first chapter of his letter, he says, consider it a joy. And I mentioned this earlier this week on one of the little videos from in the morning. Uh, the, the word joy is kata in Greek. And it, it literally means to be joyous, to be in a state of joy. And the reason James says that is because all these trials and tribulations, all they do is make us better. It brings about a perfection of our faith. A per we learn how to persevere as Christians. And that's what Paul is bringing to them. This, this hope of this man who was left for dead outside of Lystra. He was stoned to death. Literally. He, it, they, they believed, the scholars believed, that's what he was. He had that vision where he was issued into the third heaven. And then they brought him back into the town. And the same man has went through all this turmoil, all this prison, all this, this strife in his life. is now coming to them on the brink of death. He's saying, have hope. Would you still have hope? Would you believe in the message that you were given? He says, the God whom I belong and serve. See, Paul belongs to God as we, as Christians, belong to God. Paul refers to himself as a bondservant, a bondslave of Jesus Christ. Because we've been bought with a price, as 1 Corinthians 6.20 says. In Matthew 20, 28, Jesus says that, He's paid a ransom for many with his blood. To serve God is to minister to God, to perform work unto God. So Paul is doing the work of the Lord by sharing this message of deliverance and hope to the people on the ship. Because these people might not even believe in Jesus Christ. But at the end, as we're going to see, when they, when they make it safely to where they need to be, we have the, the culmination of this message of hope and deliverance and it's This isn't the only time that God sent an angel to give a message of hope and deliverance when all seem lost. In Acts chapter 5, verse 19, an angel breaks the apostles out of jail. In Acts chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, Peter's in jail again, and an angel breaks him out of jail and takes him out. So Paul is basically saying at the end, as he says, therefore keep up your courage, he uses the word three times in this passage, keep up your courage, for I believe that God will turn out exactly as I have been told. I'm reminded of an Old Testament passage in Joshua, chapter 1, verse 9. God says to Joshua, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
Matter of fact, we can look at this passage, and if, if we're familiar with the book of Romans, in Romans 8, 28, it says, For God causes all things to work for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So if that's the truth that we believe in, God can use this, this storm-tossed sea and the storms in our life to bring about good, to bring about a, a message of hope and deliverance. Right now, our country, we're, we're faced with a lot of different turmoil because of this pandemic. You know, and I, I don't like talking political things from the pulpit, uh, but I, I will say this: there's a lot of there's a lot of strife because there's there's basically two factions that exist in this country right now that are always fighting at each other. We've we've gone from the days of people being able to agree to disagree to being disagreeable about everything all the time. But there's a message of hope in the midst of this despair that we're facing right now. There's a message of hope that if we trust in Jesus Christ, everything's going to be okay. And I know that sounds naive, and I know that sounds rather cliche for a Christian, but that's the only thing we can hope in, is Jesus Christ. Because he is the ultimate sustainer, the ultimate provider. He's the ultimate truth in life. And I think if this world and these bleeders have a little bit more Jesus, then a lot, a lot of stuff will go a whole lot smoother. A lot of things will be a whole lot better. In verses 33 through 36, it's been about um, two weeks later now. Uh, if you read in verse 27, it says the 14th night. So if you skip down to verse 33, it says, Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them. So we have to go on that premise that until the day was about to dawn, Paul was speaking all through the night, which he's done many times in the past up to this point. He's, he says he was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating having taken nothing. Now why is that significant? Because human beings, when you're working constantly, you have to have fuel for your body. But when the Navy SEALs are doing their training, they have, they have a week called Hell Week, and it's six days long, and it's literally, they get about four hours of sleep, maybe ten hours of sleep the whole entire week. And they're, they're going through this constant evolution to these phases of using their strength, their mind, they're mentally exhausted, spiritually exhausted, emotionally exhausted, and physically exhausted. By the time they get to the end of the week, but you know what one thing they do? The military feeds them very well during this period of time because your body will fail if you have no food, if you have no nourishment. So what, what, what Paul is trying to get across to this, this, uh, these, these people is like, this is the two weeks you've gone without food. Now anybody who's ever known anybody that's been out to sea in the middle of a storm, it takes a lot of work to keep a ship from falling apart. If you read back uh, verses 14 through uh, 20, you'll see that they took great precautions to keep the ship from falling apart. They wrapped, they wrapped cables and ropes all the way underneath the, the, the keel of the ship to help keep the waves from battering it and breaking the wood apart. So they've had this long two, three weeks worth of strenuous work. And Paul's like, you need to eat. And he says in, this, in verse 34, Therefore I encourage you to take some food, for this is your preservation. For not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. And all of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. So there's a couple things I want us to learn from this. They all ate. They all listened to Paul. And he always consistently preached the same message of hope in this period of despair. Things have gotten considerably worse. They've gone two weeks now being battered and tossed about in this storm that they're going through, this physical storm. But how long do we, how long do we endure storms of life? How long do we do we struggle in our lives through trials and tribulations? They could go on for months. They could go on for years. We might be battling a demon or demons in our lives. We might be struggling with very many things. 
But one thing is for sure. The message that Paul brings of deliverance and hope is the same as he preached two weeks prior to that. And it's the same thing that we can take home to our lives and practically apply it. No matter what we struggle with, no matter what we're facing in life, we can always turn to God because he will never leave us nor forsake us. In fact, I would even go to, as far as to make a statement that the safest place we can be is in the center of God's will. No matter what it looks like to the outside world, no matter what we might be struggling through in our own storm in our lives, if we trust and have faith in Jesus Christ, and we know that we're in the center of His will, there's no place else I'd rather be. Because that's the safest place. It might not be safe from human terms. We might lose our life. Physical life. But if we already have our eternal life, what's the matter if our, if our physical life is lost? We have to be willing to serve no matter what the cost. An interesting thing here is the, the actual literature in Greek for this verse 34, therefore I encourage you to take some food for this is for your preservation. It actually uses the word for salvation in the original language. He's actually basically saying this is for your salvation. Do we not know that our, pres our, our, our preservation can only be accomplished through Jesus Christ? Through the saving grace and mercy and blood of Jesus Christ? That's how we're saved. So he's telling them to eat because this is what's going to save your life. But ultimately, he's giving them this message of hope from God that they're going to be delivered. I don't know about you, but if I was in that ship and I didn't believe in God beforehand, I sure would believe about it by the time it was over with. shipwrecked all of them are safe in verse 44 it says and the rest should should follow some on planks and others on various things from the ship they were floating and so it happened that they were all brought safely to land so we have this long narrative story from verse 14 all the way to verse 44 about the shipwreck that's going to happen and in verse 44 we see the culmination and the fulfillment of not only paul's message that he delivered but the message that the angel of god gave to paul that everybody would be saved I have a few questions this morning. When you're in the storm of life, where is your trust? I'm going to read you a, a little bit of words here that come from a song. And you already know what song it is, but humor me. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. And in the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. When the solid ground is falling out from underneath my feet, between the black skies and my red eyes, I can barely see. When I realize I've been sold out by my friends and my family, I can feel the rain reminding me in the eye of the storm. You remain in control. In the middle of a war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. This is when his hopes and dreams are far from me and I'm running out of faith. I see the future, I picture slowly fade away. And when the tears of pain and heartache are pouring down my face, I find my peace in Jesus' name. And he goes into his course. And the last part, 
when the test comes in and the doctor says, I've only got a few months left, it's like a bitter pill I'm swallowing, I can barely take a breath. And when addiction steals my baby girl, and there's nothing I can do, my only hope is to trust you. I trust you, Lord. These words are from a song written by Ryan Stevenson, or sung by Ryan Stevenson, and it's called In the Eye of the Storm. This is a contemporary Christian music, but it tells a story. It tells a story that throughout, no matter what hope and despair may bring, no matter what happens in our lives, our hope must be centered and rooted on Jesus Christ. So I ask you today, is that where your hope is? When things look grim, God is in control. When all hope is lost, God is in control. When we are in despair, God is in control. It's my, it's my prayer today. The rooster's prayer also. That um, no matter what happens, that we all here, whoever's watching at home and, and who, who the people gather here today, that no matter what happens, we know that God is in control. God in his sovereignty has a plan, and human beings have free agency, but God is always ultimately in control. I pray that if today there's somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ, maybe somebody watching, maybe somebody here is struggling with their life, I pray that as we're going to sing and we're going to meditate on these words here in a few moments through song, I pray that you make your decision for where your hope is. Where you find your hope, if you're in a period of despair in your life, if you're in a trial or tribulation, maybe it's been a continual one for many months, maybe even years, I pray that you hold on to that anchor when your sails are torn and you're cast about on the sea of life, that you can turn to Jesus and trust in Him for all things. Thank you.